What's up, fam, and welcome to the Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Podcast. This podcast is meant to give you easy, implementable, no BS advice to help make you stronger, more resilient, and bring out your inner badass to help you get back to doing the things you love with the people you love. I am your host, Dr. Tyler Bordick. I am a physical therapist, a strength conditioning coach, and co-owner of Inner Strength Physio Fitness Athletics in Pittsburgh. If you're ready, jump on the bus, buckle in, and let's rock and roll. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to the Health, Fit, and Pain-Free Podcast. I am your host, Doc T, on episode 67, welcoming back a new and old, always great friend to have, the Andrew Wade of Case Pick Nutrition. What's going on, Andrew? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me back. 67, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm starting to build up some content, I see. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's always a task in the making, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... This episode, I really, I thought, no better person, um, for a multitude of reasons, but uh, wanted to talk about, you know, something that Nina and I bitch about constantly is meal prepping, all the time. Couples, that is, that is one of the biggest, biggest th- yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely, all, every, every week, all of our dietitians at Case Specific, that's one of the conversations. Yep, number one, meal prep, number two, parenting, and number three is finances. I don't disagree with that. That might be the order as well. I think meal prep might be the leading cause of divorce in the yep. United States. Yep. Um, so, to help our marriage and everybody else's marriage I'm out here there, for you, man. want to talk about how to make meal prepping simple. Meal like prepping that. made simple by Andrew Wade. I think we can do that. So, without further ado, how would, what would you describe meal prepping as? Because some people have this very deterred, like, congruent type of, like, thought of what meal prepping is. I love that. Yeah. And so I, I think that uh, the perception is that meal prep is the bodybuilder meals in the plastic containers that are packed individually for six, you know, three meals a day, five days a week kind of thing. So when you open it up on Friday, you're cracking open something you sealed on Sunday. Uh-huh. And I think that that's sounds so huge. horrible when you put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what like people think of when they think of meal prep. But meal prep really isn't that part, right? Really, it's more of the uh, <laughs> meal prep is actually more of what I'd call the intention to acknowledge meals in sure. the future, right? So it's there's there's definitely different like tiers of meal prep, and I think the most extreme automated and disciplined one is absolutely the eating out of prep containers for, mm-hmm. you know, rep- repetitively. Um, but I think that's also why couples go at it. It's because one of the one of the biggest things is there's a tendency for one person in the relationship to be more of a repetitive eater mm-hmm. and the other person to be more of a novel eater. Mm-hmm. Um, that tends to be the male and female, if we're going to be be honest in that in, in traditional doing, relationships. Are you doing couples counseling right now? Because I, I was going to say, hitting, I'm, what I'm, yeah, I'm hitting you right. I'm saying that you probably there. would eat the same thing for lunch and dinner every day and not yep. complain. And Nina probably eats it for lunch, wants something different for dinner, and then the next day she doesn't want leftovers. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm hitting a chord, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Especially if we do fish. Oh. Yeah, game over. Game right? over. Absolutely. And so we can hear where, one, there's the dynamic of, like, there's a level of repetition that different people are willing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's sort of that level of freshness and those kind of things. So at base, though, meal prep really is just trying to acknowledge that, hey, 
This week, we have a lot going on. We're going to need to stop and eat. If I try and figure it out as I go, which is what most people do, that means in the middle of the day when I'm between 12 different events, I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing and figure out and make decisions during peak decision fatigue. Probably not going to make a great lunch decision. Sure. And then I'm going to come home burnt out at dinner and have to start from scratch, which is going to set us up so we're more likely to pick something up or order something out. So meal prep is saying, hmm, maybe I need to think about this ahead of time so that I can reduce that decision fatigue during the week. Um, and from there, you will build some structures, but it's integrating a plan um, of various <laughs> level of intensity that accommodates your personal preferences. That was like the most Elon Musk way of describing meal prep I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I actually am about to buy Twitter, so this uh, is pretty spot on. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Glad to see the aspirations are paying off here. So, with that, and you kind of already started talking about it, but like, why? Like, why meal prep? Obviously, you know, because most people, they look at meal prep and they think, all right, as you said, I'm either a bodybuilder or I'm trying to lose weight mm -hmm. um, or I'm just boring. Yeah. So, like, what, like you said, like, I'm the boring one in the relationship. I'm eating the same thing all the time. Yep. Why meal, like, what is the purpose of meal prepping? Like, if someone was to be like, argue for meal prepping for me right now, what would that be? What would yeah. that look like? Honestly, it, I think the, the main word really is that intention is the word I would go back to. Meal prep of all kinds is really just recognizing that you're going to eat, you need to eat, and you're typically pausing already an already chaotic life to eat. And having to do 10 things, right, pick what you're eating, source the ingredients, assemble the ingredients, takes a lot of time. Meal prep, way to think about it is if it takes you two hours on a Sunday – it saves you an hour every night, Monday through Friday. And so it's a time savings, right? And sure. it's, so it's sort of that opportunity cost side of things. Um, and most of us live really busy lives, especially when you have kids in the mix. You're managing all these different schedules. You've got different mouths to feed. You get to a point where figuring out what's on what's for dinner on Wednesday night is a huge headache. Uh -huh. um, so I think, it's, I think there's the intention behind it is acknowledging sort of the time constraint. And then with that, the, the word convenience comes to mind. Right? Sure. It's, it's just it's very convenient to have it ready saves you a lot of stress um, and can set you up to again feel a little bit less burnt out by the end of the week if you do it right honestly too like cost yeah cost is a huge thing I know um, so for instance like when I used to do lawn care for a living but even when I worked for like other PT clinics like there were people that they never brought their lunch they would order out for lunch every yep. single day which if you're being conservative it's 10 10 bucks if yeah. they're ordering out every day which that's very very conservative i would say 10 to 20 like you said if you're going to like a chipotle or a you know a fast food spot then yeah it's going to be 8 to 12 but if you're going to like a restaurant and you order a salad you're now in the 12 to 17 range uh -huh. and like you said it's and it's, to be fair it's also the, the steps involved you have to leave wherever you are you have to find that place you have to sit and eat it or grab it as you go it's just you start to realize that even that isn't as convenient as we like to think it is mm -hmm. um, but it is it's definitely very expensive when you meal prep right as long as you're sourcing good ingredients and some of the things we'll dig into obviously I think as this episode progresses we can set it up so that you're not you know buying all these random ingredients that you're never using 
You can set it up so you have minimal food waste, and then you can set it up so, like you said, you end up saving a whole lot of money so that when you do go out to eat, it's not out of convenience. It's actually an enjoyable, entertaining experience, which is what it's meant to be. Sure. Six days a week? No, probably not, right? But, you know, having that fun date night is definitely a good thing, and if you save some cash during the week, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. So when you were talking about, you know, we live busy lives, this kind of popped in my head. Um, Because I hear this quite often too is I'm imagining someone older than a millennial will just go that way um, who is trying to figure out and even if you are like someone younger trying to figure out why meal prepping is so important now why this wasn't so much of a thing 20 like 10 20 30 years ago where do you feel like the difference is now that we are quote unquote so busy that we can't really prepare lunch and dinner like we used to used to be able to that now it's a little bit more of a of a um a factor if you will yeah i mean the short answer or the long answer but it's <laughs> but it's andrew way that's going to be the long yeah i was going to say i don't know that my short answer is short but i mean at base i would say it's economies of scale right How, what percent of the u.s are now dual income households compared uh-huh. to 20 years ago it's normal to be dual income now. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't live in a patriarchal society like we did 70 years ago. And from 70 years ago in the 1950s when that was the norm to now, I mean, there's more dual income households than there are single income households. So one, that's going to be a big factor is you have two people running a household that are both working. Um, from there, you shift from sort of our industrial economy to our technological economy, right? Our generation and anyone currently living in 2022, the rate and pace that we do things now is outrageously fast. Access to technology, it doesn't allow multitasking. It allows the delusion of multitasking. But it does allow a very, very fast and constant pace of work. Mm -hmm. There's no clocking in and clocking out. Most people aren't working labor-intensive jobs. Um, and the labor-intensive jobs that do exist, even those have been mechanized in a way yeah. that has even like made those even more streamlined. So the amount of things that are on the typical person's to-do list, if we looked at what can we accomplish in 24 hours now versus 10 years ago, I mean, think about how <laughs> 10 years ago we were... I mean, we were using Facebook and like Instagram had just started. Snapchat wasn't a thing yet. Like yeah. 10 years ago... Everything was very different 20 years ago. I mean, we were using AIM. Like, you know, remember AIM and like AOL? I mean, it's just to say that when we think about like the iPhone came out, what, in 2004 or 2005, something like that? I remember when I went to college, it was like starting to pop up a lot. Like it was only like the spoiled kids, quote unquote spoiled kids were the ones that had the new iPhone. Exactly. Um, But it's funny, if you go back to the new iPhone, like it, or the old iPhone, it was a horrible device. Oh yeah, compared to now comparison? for sure, it's massive. But um, yeah, it was it was slow. There was so many glitches and everything in it. But uh, it, it's crazy to think how far that's come now. Yeah, and so when you think about what's twenty years done, well, two thousand two to now, I mean, honestly, the entire global technological economy that we exist in is what's mm-hmm. formed in the last twenty years. And to be fair, that's why. The S&P 500, even though it's down right now, is still almost triple what it was then. Yeah. Right? It's economies of scale is the the long-winded answer of it. We could go way too in detail for that, so we won't. But <laughs> when you have dual-income households, when you have people that are going a million miles an hour with to-do lists and pings, I mean, how many text messages do you think you send a day? Right? Like, when you think about how many people you communicate with on a daily basis. So it's funny you say that. Uh, I was looking at my screen time the other day. 
and uh, comparing my wife's and I's screen time, and they're fairly the same. However, I work on my phone. Like, my phone is what I use for work all the time. Mm -hmm. And out of, like, the three and a half hours a day that I'm on it, which still is pretty good whenever you work on your phone, Mm -hmm. um, like, three-quarters of that is text messaging. Yeah, I don't doubt that. It's the average person. I forget how many people the average person talks to now. But as to say, we are all very busy. We have a tendency to load up our work days with meetings and connections and contact. We load up our social time and even our downtime with connection and contact. And so there's a there's an there's an expense there, right? It's that much screen time, that much mental engagement. It drains dopamine, which mm-hmm. is the neurotransmitter in our brain that's responsible for what we call our willpower. Yeah. And so is it surprising that most of us get to the end of the day? And we are what David Kahneman, he's a Nobel Prize winner, calls ego depleted. Yeah. Our willpower is just drained. And so all of a sudden, the idea of pick something to eat, get it out of the freezer, you thaw it, cook it, assemble it, spice it, serve it, that sounds like you might as well climb Mount Everest at that point. Yeah. And so the concept of food is daunting for a lot of those reasons. Yeah. And honestly, too, like that's where habits really are important to come into play. That by the end of the day, and you know, like what you were alluding to there is people think there's a thing as willpower as far as like this person has more willpower than this person. And that's not necessarily true. And still, like willpower is just like energy. As the day goes on, energy goes down, so does willpower. Mm -hmm. And so with that, um, by towards the end of the day, we need to make sure that A, our habits are in place, but B, they're in place to the point they're mindless. Because as soon as you don't have any habits, you have nothing planned out, you have nothing ready to go, and your emotions kick in, you're just like, like I mean, let's you're be... fighting an uphill battle. Though. No, yeah, for sure. Like, you're, you're, you drive, you pick up the kids, and you go past a pizza hut, and you're just like, oh, I could go. And then that's it. Willpower's gone. You stop, you get pizza hut, that's it. Yep. Done. Perfectly said. It's funny. You, you said it. Oh, some people have more willpower. No, the secret is those people, the things that you're identifying as willpower requiring don't require willpower for them. So like, easy example, the person that's like the religious exerciser. Mm-hmm. There's this perception that they're just more motivated. Mm-hmm. The secret is that exercise doesn't require willpower for them. Yeah. Right? And that's where when you first start exercising, it requires willpower because it's new to you and it's something you have to learn. But if exercise is something that has become a sanctuary for you, it's a mental outlet, it's a safe place, that's not actually requiring willpower. Mm-hmm. That actually is providing willpower. Yeah. And so that's what happens is it's, you start to realize most people spend their time invested in vices. Mm-hmm. Vices are dopamine lending, right? So it's you know smoking, gambling, drinking, drugs, um, excessive bright lights, those types of things, you know, from video games or from phones, those are what we call dopamine lending. They borrow dopamine from the future. They give you a dopamine surge now. That gives you a feeling of euphoria now. But the problem is you have to pay it back in the future. And that's why video games and excessive screen time can affect sleep habits. And that's why drugs and alcohol can obviously destroy lives. These other habits like exercise, um, even things like cooking. Cooking is a hobby that some people find very therapeutic. That's becoming less and less the case. Sure. But exercise is a great example of something where it's not dopamine lending, it's dopamine creating. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into a habit of exercising, you actually have a bigger dose of those main neurotransmitters in your brain that make you feel good. That means you have more to pull from. And so um, a lot of people, they are stuck using vices to try and recharge. 
the people that seem to, for no explained reason, have more quote-unquote willpower, it's not that they have more willpower, it's that they've found outlets that dopamine create. And so where the dopamine, you know, the vices give you this like false boost, but then you start your next day drained, positive outlets give you a boost every morning. And so you start your day from a higher place. And if I'm starting my day with a dopamine of 15, and you're starting your day with a dopamine of eight, and then I wind down by cooking myself a nice meal and sleeping well and exercising, I start my next day with 17, you wind down by scrolling on Instagram, listening to TikToks, and you know whatever, arguing with someone on Facebook, you start your day with six, yeah. and that's what's happening, is you see this polarity, where you see these people who seem to have so much more willpower, and know they've invested in their dopamine, and yeah. they're, they're more stable mentally, and it's funny, because what you and I do for a living, we kind of preach this in non-direct ways, but we're trying to help people replace vices with outlets so that they can have a stronger base to come from, and that's where all productivity really sources. Yeah, So, cool. Very cool. You know, meal prep. So, yeah, meal prep. <laughs> <laughs> someone, I, if someone out there was just like, what? What, what just are we happened? talking about right now? Who is this what, guy? What's the topic of this? Yeah, of this why podcast? did they bring him on? Uh, for the record, Andrew and I could do a 24-hour podcast if you gave us the time and the resources to do so. That is a fact. And a ZOA. And, uh, and enough ZOA. I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, <laughs> our sponsor. ZOA. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is, is the uh, source of caffeine in my life. And I actually I have him coming well. on next week. Oh, I'm so excited. Episode 68. I'm the, I'm the opener for The Rock. You're the opener for The Rock. That's how I know I made it. There we go. Along with that, uh, you buying Twitter. So yep, yeah. Keep it. Keep uh, a few steps up the ladder. There. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, cool. With the money I don't have. <laughs> so with that, um, how like so obviously this was a lot of information for people to digest, and it always comes down to how do I get started? How do I do this to where? Um, and I do have a follow up question with that that people always tend to mention, um, ask me and mention me. But yeah, like how do people get started with meal prepping? This is perfect. Good segue back in. So we're going to do it two ways. Well, actually, I don't think we need to. We'll do it one way. It starts with a couple, you know, you've got to build the uh, build the environment for meal prep to succeed. So let's use you and Nina as an example. Cool. Right? Couples counseling. Let's go. Couples counseling. Let's, let's, solve, let's solve your marriage crisis. I know, it's, I know it's a struggle. Who's eating chicken? Who's eating what? Um, so first things first, we have to acknowledge that there are different palates in the household. Uh-huh. That's one of the biggest barriers to entry, right? Usually, again, as we said, there's the Tyler of the household that's willing to just like eat the same damn thing constantly. And then there's the Nina of the household who like wants flavor, wants spice, wants variety. Cool. That makes the whole six meals in a container, cracking it open on Friday sound just, I mean, inadmissible, essentially, yeah. right? And so what I usually tell people is first thing you have to do, identify how many meals you plan to prep. That's step one. So say, for example, you guys look at it and you go, you know what? Monday through Thursday, we need lunches and dinners. Friday, we need lunch. Saturday, Friday night, we're going to go out to dinner. It's our date night. Saturday, we do family stuff. And then Sunday, we're going to be at home, and that's when we cook and prep, so we'll make Sunday dinner. So I can hear that, and I go, okay, that means you need two, four, six, eight, nine meals prepped. Right? You got Friday night covered. You got Saturday all day covered. You got Sunday all day covered. We're prepping nine meals. We're prepping for two people. That means we need 18 meals. That's step one. Identify how many meals you're prepping. Step two, identify how many times you want to prep. Because here's the thing. You don't have to cook everything on Sunday 
and hold your breath all week. Some yeah. people like to prep twice a week, right? The idea is instead of having to cook Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, right? What if you did Sunday, Wednesday? Uh-huh. And so if you guys decide, hey, we're going to do two nights, now you know, okay, Sunday we're going to prep for Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday lunch. we got five times two, ten meals. Wednesday night we're going to make our dinner, and then we're going to make leftovers for Thursday lunch, Thursday dinner, Friday lunch. So we're going to make three leftovers. And so now you have it divided into the amount of piles you're going to cook in. Uh-huh. And then from there, this is where you integrate what we like to call the mix and match. Um and so the mix and match setup is what Nina needs. It's yeah. the idea that most meal preps are going to have a protein source, right? Um, are going to have some sort of carbohydrate, and they're going to have some sort of vegetable or produce scenario. And then ideally, they're going to have a sauce for flavor. And that's kind of the basic components. Um, if you pour the sauce in over high heat, it's a stir fry. Yeah. If you pour the sauce into broth, it's a soup or a stew. Mm-hmm. If you drizzle the sauce over top at the end, it's a standard meal. Um, you know, if you put it into a crock pot, it's a crock pot smoked yeah. flavored scenario. If you drizzle it on the grill, there's always a sauce. Anywho, so typically what's best is you pick two or three protein sources, mm-hmm. and then you pick two or three carb sources and two or three vegetable sources. And then what you do is you cook them all and then you can mix and match them. Um, what's nice is all animal protein bakes at 350 in the oven. And it's really easy to temper a grill, one side hot, one side cooler for different types of meats. Um, but you can set yourself up, and it's funny because if while you're cooking one meat, it's easy to cook another. And while you're cooking two pieces, it's just as easy to cook four pieces. It scales very, very readily. So if you have two meats, and then you pick your carb sources. I like to have a, I like to have a portable carb source typically, so like a pita or a tortilla or something like that. And then I like to have more of like what I'd call like a, a standard carb source, like a rice or a quinoa or a pasta. So you pick two of those, and then you pick veggies. Um, for me, I personally am on the go a lot, so I like to have a hot vegetable and a cold vegetable, one that I prefer microwaved and one that I don't really care if it's microwaved. Yeah. Um, and so that might be salad stuff, and that might be air-fried Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. I'm just picking two random things. Yeah. But what ends up happening then is you end up with a really fun style of meal prep. So let's just let's use a real example. Let's say for fun you picked chicken and pork, and you grill out chicken breast and pork tenderloin, slice up the pork tenderloin, slice up the chicken. Say you pick taco shells, and you pick rice, and then you pick salad stuff, and you pick um, fajita vegetables. Well, now we can hear where you could have chicken or pork tacos or chicken or pork fajitas. Uh-huh. You could also put chicken or pork on a salad and have rice in the salad, or you could tear up the pita or the tortilla and have that with a salad. So you have all of these mix and match options. And what you then get to do is on Sunday night, you decide what you want for Monday. You know what? I'm going to do tacos for lunch and I'm going to do a big salad for dinner. And then the next day, instead of having the same thing, you flip the meat so you have the chicken tacos instead of the pork tacos, and then you have the pork salad instead of the chicken salad, just as an example. As the week goes on, once the meat is cooked, I always tell people meat prep is an important piece of this, and that's something we can always like re, you know, reinforce down the road, but once the meat is cooked, meals are 10 minutes away. 
Yeah. Things take an hour because the meat has to cook. So at the bare minimum, if you prep two meats and then you have portable carbs in the form of 90-second brown rices and, again, pitas or tortillas, salad greens, like you're 10 minutes from dinner. And what I always love to say is about midweek, right, you're going to get the ninas of the world that are going to be getting sick of stuff. And I hate to call her out. Girl, just know that, like, if you're listening, <laughs> you're not alone, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's to say that um, – Midweek, what's stopping you from taking that rice and taking that chicken, tossing it in a chicken broth, heating it up on the stove, and having a chicken rice soup? Yeah. Boom, done. And so that's what's nice is if you have those like sort of key piles, you can mix and match them, and then you can repurpose them. Yeah. But it starts with, as just as that recap, identify the number of meals, identify the number of days you're going to prep, and then I would install at least two, two, two so that you can mix and match. And now it's set up so that you can be automated and go – Wraps or tortillas for lunch, salads for dinner, and then she can do whatever she feels she wants to do. Yeah. Uh, it, this popped up here during that because you were talking about meats need done. To, you know, meats are like the, the different part. Meats are like very, uh, very unique, especially in their cooking. The one thing that we always run into is steak. Steak is the worst thing to reheat. Mmm. So what do you what are your complaints with reheating steak? So like steak is one of those. So first off, not that I want to call anybody out, but um, <laughs> neither, <laughs> the other day um, we decided to go uh, start doing like going to a a like whole like place to or um not whole but um like a Sam's Club or Costco and uh, to get our meats you know for a little bit cheaper and. Nina, and I'm not blaming her for this because I would have probably done the same thing, but she got cube steak from there that we were going to use, and we did a stir-fry with it. It was horrible. <laughs> the steak was so bad. Um, now, yes, there's a the part of it, like how you cook it, obviously, and how you prepare it. That can be a big part of it. Yep. However, I'm also very weird when it comes to big name places and the steak that comes from them. I'd rather go to a butcher if I really can. Absolutely. But I have noticed before that like I've made steak and it tastes really good when you make it and then when you reheat it, it gets a little bit rubbery. Yeah. So there's a couple secrets there. One, it's the cut of meat. Actually, I'll step back. The, the bougie thing to think about is, yes, if you could get a local butcher that was giving you grass-fed beef and steak, awesome. You're going to pay a premium. Um, that's always going to be a better meat that's going to be more tender. That said, if that's not something that's in your financial reality, there's still plenty of things you can do. Cut of meat matters. Your What's funny is your fattier cuts of meat are super tender when you initially cook them. But then like they get kind of like hardened and collagenous and saturated so like fatty meat like you know like the really fatty cuts like a cube steak is a fattier cut of yeah. beef initially cooks real well but like you said when it reheats it gets tough your sirloin your leaner cuts of meat they don't have that same problem they kind of are a little bit more like consistent and so we want to look at your sirloins and your tenderloins yeah if you're going to prep and then the, from there the comment would be you need to cook it so that – you cook it to taste for the night you make it. Say you're cooking this Sunday night and you're actually going to eat some Sunday night and you like stuff medium. Great. Leave a piece of steak or a hunk of steak on a little longer but cook everything else medium rare and then slice it. And then once you reheat it, it will become medium in the microwave. Yeah. And so you've got to cook it like one level below your preference taste. Yeah. And so that's where say you, know, say you took a tenderloin. I – 
I'd be grilling it, and then once it got to the point where it was medium rare, I'd hunk a ch- you know, like hack a chunk off of it, and I'd leave that on the grill to get it to medium, and I'd take the medium rare part, and I'd go slice it up, and I'd put it in a container. And so that helps steak. So the leaner cuts, the tenderloin and sirloins, they reheat a little bit better, and then always do one below your personal preference, and they'll reheat a whole lot better. Cool. So. With that, too, um, something I've, I've come across with, with chefs especially is, but if you're doing ground meat, always you want to cook it a little bit longer yep. because of the bacterial buildup that can well, happen that's like that. The reheating as well, right? Yeah. So beef needs to be reheated. Um, if I'm thinking correctly, it's a, it's 145. you got to make sure you reheat it too just to kill the bacteria. 145, 165 is chicken, 155 is pork. I believe it's 145. But yeah. 155 might be even just to say it's safe. Yeah. And that's the point is you have to heat it to the point that it's going to cook it again. Yeah. And so that's where if you cook, if, if you have medium steak and you cook it, it's going to be medium well when yeah. you reheat it. Done. So yeah. always do one below. Cool. So you, with through that, you were talking about, um, talked about vegetables and everything. And with that, something that uh, I was talking to one of our coaches about that this kind of comes across is people get a little bit weird when it comes to vegetables Mm -hmm. there's so many different vegetables and i use that in a big quote out there now (laughs) because there's things like um you have like your fresh vegetables you have your frozen vegetables you have your canned vegetables but then there's also because of how we become as a society is there is the new monkey wrench thrown in there that there are veggie straws there are like broccoli tots there are cat there are um cauliflower like gnocchi variations yeah so let's dive into that a little bit so first off like let's go like fresh versus non-fresh vegetables but also giving a little bit of guidance when it comes to things that have quote-unquote vegetables or serving of vegetables and that what that really means okay we'll call that vegetable marketing so we'll, okay so let's tackle like you said fresh versus um fresh versus basically stored of some kind and then we'll, we'll, we'll go back to um, vegetable marketing. So what's kind of interesting is it depends on season and it depends where you live. At base, canned vegetables, the added sodium and those types of things, yes there is some minimal nutrient loss from them. That said, they still provide you the main thing we really need from vegetables is the fiber. Mm-hmm. That's what it's supposed to be in our gut. And as Americans in particular, we really lack fiber in our diet. And so those canned vegetables are going to provide you that fiber. They're still going to give you a lot of micronutrients. They're still going to have a lot of those antioxidants preserved. So if canned is what you have access to, that is not worth it's not worth skipping. It's worth really continuing and including. The fresh versus frozen is a fun conversation because frozen, the patent for nitrogen freezing was released in, I'm going to misquote the date, somewhere around 2010, um, where there had been a patent that one of the one of the big food manufacturers had a patent on it forever and they were the only one that nitrogen froze things. It got released and nitrogen freezing, nitrogen actually stores and preserves nutrients as is. It doesn't destroy them. So the current frozen vegetable bags, those bird's eye bags, the Hanover bags, the you know the whatever grocery store you shop at, their name brand, those frozen microwavable, they are nitrogen frozen within three days of picking, and the nutritional content at day three is locked in place. Mm. And so what's kind of cool is frozen veggies are actually highly nutritious. Mm-hmm. If you live on a farm in California and you can go and pick it yourself and cook it that night, Yes, you've technically edged out the nutrition composition, but sure. if you live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in December, 
we're sourcing everything from other states, which means that got picked, put on a truck, delivered to some sort of storage facility, put on a plane or a truck, flown here or driven here, put in another storage facility, distributed to a grocery store, and got put in the back, and then got onto the shelf, and then got to you, and then got home, and then you cooked it four days later. Minimum two weeks. And so when we're comparing the nutrition composition of spinach at day 14 to the frozen spinach of day three, frozen actually wins. <laughs> and so when you can buy, that's why when they say when you can buy local, do it, because you've reduced, one, your carbon footprint, but you've also reduced the time to cook, right? The yeah. time until it's actually in your mouth or it's you know being consumed, the time to consumption. But for us in Pittsburgh, frozen is actually sometimes the better option, to be yeah. perfectly honest. And so that's kind of, like you said, something that most people don't know or realize. Um, that comes from my, my days of working and interning in the food industry, getting to learn about all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah, that's that's an important piece of it. <laughs> As for the, uh, the vegetable, vegetable marketing. marketing. We should trademark that term, by the way. We really should. Yeah, VM. Um, VMTM. So vegetable marketing is interesting because our in our society, right, the FDA regulates claims. And unfortunately... They don't do a good job of protecting the American consumer from buzzwords um, like healthy or good source of or counts as a serving of fruits and vegetables, those types of things. And once again, the goal of a vegetable, the dominant ingredient in vegetables is the fiber, the insoluble fiber that actually like feeds your gut bacteria, allows the probiotics that are naturally in your body that you're not supplementing to thrive, right? It helps the population that is, I always call it the New York City of your body is your mm -hmm. intestinal flora. It helps keep New York City vibrant. That fiber is an integral part of that process. It also is what kind of helps move things along naturally. And yes, there's also the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatory components, some of the vitamins and mineral content, but the fiber is the big piece. Um, unfortunately, our FDA definition of a fruit or a vegetable doesn't have anything to do with those ingredients. Yeah. So when you get a veggie straw, what that is, is it is some sort of potato or corn-based mm -hmm. chip that has been given tomato or yucca or spinach or broccoli powder. Yeah. And because of micronutrient claims, specifically, right, like a certain amount of vitamin B this and vitamin K this, it's able to call itself a serving of vegetables. It's also worth noting that technically it's a potato, which yeah. is a vegetable. Um, so these things claim they're a vegetable, but they're not actually doing what we need a vegetable to do. Uh -huh. They aren't slowing down digestion. They aren't feeding our gut bacteria. Instead, they're a highly um, digestible carbohydrate source, which I'm not poo-pooing that. That's fine. Yeah. But it isn't an option as a swap, right? Veggie chips or veggie straws are the thing you swap for rice or corn or potato, not the thing you swap for broccoli or spinach or asparagus. Um, and you can take that a step further, which is to say that use that base knowledge of my vegetable is my source of fiber uh -huh. to guide your decisions. So when you go to an Aldi or a Trader Joe's or a Shop and Save or a Giant Eagle or a Whole Foods, wherever you shop, and you're looking at the cauliflower rice or the cauliflower gnocchi, or you're looking at the veggie straws, or you're looking at some other thing claiming to be a serving of vegetables, flip it over and look at the grams of fiber. If it's a zero, it's not a vegetable, Yeah. right? If it's three grams, 
go ahead, proceed. Yeah. Um, that can give you a better rule of thumb for the vegetable claim yeah. and um, allow you to kind of navigate those a little better. I love what you said there. Um, cause I was gonna, I was, I, that was like itching to make this point when you brought it up cause I didn't want to forget it. And then you kind of mentioned that something too, that I think people need to understand is a yes, learning to read it nutrition label. Cause that's very important, but be realizing that there are a lot of things that, so for instance, if you go and get a broccoli, like broccoli toss, for instance, I think, um, like Golly, Jolly Green Giant has like broccoli toss. Yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, they are very good. However, if you look at the back of them, um, they have, depending on what company you get, four to seven grams of fat per serving. Yeah. And carb-wise, you're looking at around like 18 grams of carbs per serving, which isn't bad. But what I also want you to think about is if you look at the back of a bag of potato chips or a bag of tortilla chips, See? it is also... Yep. Seven grams of fat per serving, and it is, but depends, like around 18 grams of carbs per serving. Exactly. And so it's like you have to, that, it's always good to learn how to read a nutrition label just for that reason mm -hmm. to see where you're not getting duped into thinking that. Exactly. I love that. And it's, you know, you think a, a typical cup of vegetables is 15-ish calories, 15 to 30, right? Uh -huh. Five-ish grams of carbs, three grams of fiber, no fat one to three grams of protein. And so to your point, when you look at broccoli tots and they're 220 calories with fat and carbohydrate, you realize, oh, there's some broccoli in this, but this is really a side dish, right? This isn't, yeah. this isn't a vegetable. And so to your point, it's just making sure people understand the purpose of those different parts of the plate so that they can consider it. And it's to say broccoli tots could be a part of your meal, but they aren't necessarily exclusively gonna be that vegetable. Yeah, cool, so. love it, awesome. Going good so far. So with that being said, um, let's talk about how to make things more convenient. I don't really have a great segue into this one, but um, you know, to simplify this, you know, yeah. how do we make meal prepping more convenient? How do we, like, let, let's say you have someone right now who's just starting, who's like, I do want to start meal prepping, um, but diving into doing nine meals a week it's just going to be way too much for me right now. Yeah. How do we start? How do we make this more convenient from out of the gates to make it to optimize the position for success? Yeah, I think there's one of two paths you take. I think the first path I would recommend is try just meat prep. Is admitting you have a problem. Yeah, first step is admitting you have a problem. Um, I think meat prep is the solution that's first, which is to say that before you try and like project all these meals and do all those things, is just make it a habit of like prepping protein because uh -huh. as we've said if you had chicken breast grilled up and sliced and you had pork tenderloin grilled up and sliced or salmon or whatever it is right whatever your meat of choice is if you had two of those all of a sudden when you have to get home it's really easy to say oh i'm gonna toss that on a salad or i'm gonna put that on a tortilla or i'm gonna eat that on a sandwich or i'm gonna heat that thing of rice so it's easy to make a meal uh -huh. once again of the hour it takes to make dinner 45 to 50 minutes of that is basically the, the protein. Uh -huh. And so if the protein's done, you've turned dinners into 10 minutes throw together kind of scenarios, which sets you up to eat out less. It sets you up to feel more equipped. It's one less decision to make. So that'd be the first recommendation. Um, the second recommendation is to 
from there, simplify one of the two carb or vegetable sides, right? So as I mentioned before, having one of them be a tortilla or be a bread or be a pita or be a minute rice. So simplify that carbohydrate choice and then simplify the vegetable. Make it sliced up tomatoes with some mozzarella for a caprese salad or have it be like just like a bag of greens with some cherry tomatoes. That's one of my go-tos. I keep a ton of those cherry tomatoes in my cupboard, not cupboard, in my uh, fridge, and those boxes of the different veggies, and it's super easy to come home, toss some greens in a bowl, toss some tomatoes in it, put a Bolt House Farms you know, dressing on, which are delicious, and they're, you can use them much more liberally because they're not as loaded with all the fats and all the other stuff. For those of you that don't know, it's a Greek yogurt-based dressing. Mm-hmm. So Mina actually... When she makes buff chick dip, that's yeah. what she uses. And it's a you know a serving of it instead of 180 calories for the ranch, it's 45, and mm-hmm. instead of 18 fat, it's two, and um, it's got some protein in it. And it's also say their non-creamy dressings, their vinaigrettes are all uh, pineapple juice based. Yeah, and so it's like they've got like I mean they're delicious. But anyhow, so to say something like that, I just threw that together as a quick side, and I always keep. It's funny my salads are always base of green, something, a topping vegetable, which for me is usually tomatoes, and then something crunchy. And so I'll get like the parm crisps, uh-huh. which are little Parmesan cheese crisps, and just toss some of those on, or a couple croutons. Quick, easy, throw it together, it takes 30 seconds kind of situation. So if you simplify and you give yourself to like what I'll call the slow pitch softball options, you meat prep, you have an easy to grab carb, you have an easy to grab vegetable, you all of a sudden have all the components of a meal and it's way less draining. From there, you can start to get creative. Um, the other thing you might want to consider is once again, how many days do you actually want to prep, right? For me, you, you can look week to week and you can decide, you know what, like if you don't want to prep every day, all days, maybe you just look at like, what are your busiest days, Uh right? Like, Oh, I work a long day, Tuesday, Thursday. It'd be nice if lunch and dinner were ready. Yeah. And then what's funny is you go, okay, cool. I'm going to cook Monday, Wednesday. And Monday, I'm just going to make extra of dinner so I have it Tuesday because Tuesday, I'm so busy, I really don't care what I eat. And then Wednesday, I'm going to cook and I'm going to make extra because Thursday, I really don't care what I'm going to eat. And then Friday, I'm going to go out to dinner. And so you can look for the pattern, right? It's, it's funny. It's, it's that idea of where's the biggest pain points of the week. Not everybody finds lunch and dinner painful every day. Some days, it might actually be therapeutic to cook, right? Uh-huh. Tonight, for me, Tuesdays are the nights that I tend to cook. It's my lighter day counseling-wise. It's my earlier, uh, my earlier day. I'm done sooner. I like to go home and grill some stuff. I'm going to make salmon burgers tonight, right? And so, like, I haven't had a good salmon burger in forever. Yeah, I'm going to make Dinner in Andrew's house. Yep. Let's go. I was going to say, that's we're going there after this. Let, uh, let Nina know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll make, I'll make some salmon burgers tonight, and I'm going to make some extras, and I'll have them for tomorrow for dinner. And so it's sometimes you can identify those. So those would be three easy ones is make sure you're meat prepping, make, give yourself a slow-pitch softball of a carb source and a vegetable source, and then look for the days that have the largest pain points and start just prepping ahead for those. Because, again, it goes back to the idea that meal prep is a form of awareness and intention. It's acknowledgement. It's, hey, food needs to matter, but sometimes it just can't, so I need to think of it ahead of time. Side note, um, for my own personal, the the salmon burgers, um, do you make them yourself or do you get pre-made? Lately pre-made. I've made them myself. They are very time-consuming. I really like Whole Foods has um, spinach feta salmon burgers, pre-made, so does Giant Eagle. 
Um, Giant Eagle doesn't carry them all the time, so sometimes it's hit or miss, but Whole Foods carries them pretty consistently. I remember when I was younger, um, I tried doing it once, getting like the salmon in a can. I was a call, I was like grad student. So. Oh, yeah, so you were making salmon patties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was like the worst idea ever. Because yeah. there was like bones in the can too, and literally as soon as I bit into one of those bones, nope. game over. Done. Haven't haven't bought a can of salmon ever since. Yeah, I will say like the the salmon burgers at Whole Foods are like hunks of salmon. Like it's real. Yeah. Like they they do it the way you do it at home if you were going to do it at home, um, which is why yeah, it's, I mean you you pay a little bit more, but to a certain extent you realize that most people that are meal prepping it's because they're. A little bit poor on time, uh-huh. right? It's meant to be convenience. Um, there is going to be a trade-off, right? If you're, I mean, you know, you and Nina are a great example. You're both medical professionals. You're a preventive professional, but you're both in that medical or professional industry. You both have demanding careers, and it's like, well, you two are going to be more likely to be a little bit poor on time and you know, rich on discretionary income. Maybe the three dollars saves you a panic attack. Yeah, it's right. worth the conversation, right? Sure. To individuals, right? I mean, one of the reasons you work with a dietitian is because we meet people where they are, right? I'm going to have to someone that is maybe poor on a little bit on the money, but has a little bit of extra time. We're going to talk about meal prepping a bit more with someone who's poor on time but has a little extra discretionary. We might be talking about better ways to navigate sourcing or outsourcing, and it's access to food is what meal prep's meant to be. And there's a there's a version of it that fits every family. It's just mm-hmm. finding what's going on with you. Hold that thought. I do want to come back to that one. Um, but along with that, something that Mr. Humble here failed to mention is another is a third option, and that third option is a meal prep company. Oh, yeah, I do have one of those. Yes, you do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we do. In-house, case-specific meal prep. Um, it's I, I, myself, and my dietitian team. We have a chef, Dom, who's fantastic. Um, we created really high quality meals with consistent macros. Um, Vince is my director of community impact at Case Specific, and he actually runs the meal prep. He basically runs our ancillary services. He runs our diabetes prevention program, some of our corporate wellness stuff, runs the meal prep, and he runs our nonprofit. And so he kind of does all of the case specific ancillary, is what we might call it. But um, the meal prep is. Is available. Um, if you go on CSMP PGH, so Case Specific Meal Prep Pittsburgh.com, um, we have, we usually carry six core options. We usually have some sort of burrito bowl, some sort of like Asian, like noodle bowl. Uh, we usually have a pasta dish. We usually have a broccoli and rice that has, um, uh, teriyaki sauce, but the teriyaki sauce is made with bananas. Uh, we usually have a sweet potato and green beans that has a barbecue sauce that's made of cooked down apples. Um, and then we usually have a Mediterranean option. So those are like our core six. Uh-huh. And then we have breakfast. Um, we do breakfast sandwiches. We do breakfast bowls. And we do uh, oatmeal. And then we always have some sort of specialty items. So right now we're doing like a pulled pork with Brussels sprouts and mashed potatoes. Um, and we also have a curry and white rice. Those are our two specials this month. But yeah, if you go on to csmppgh.com, um, order by Wednesdays at 8 p.m. We shut down the website Wednesday, Wednesday night, order all the food Thursday, gets delivered, prep it Friday, Saturday, deliver it to your door on Sunday, and you have fresh meals for the week that you just hit in the microwave. They're all dietitian approved. Um, all the sauces, again, we don't use any added sugars. All our meats are locally sourced, antibiotic-free, um, good quality food made by people that know what they're doing. And it's, like I said, Dom, he's 
he's a magician in the kitchen. His food is delicious. So shameless plug. Shameless plug. Um, it's almost so, like I talk to people about meal prep all the time or something, you know. Now back to our regular programming. Yeah. So, thank you from our sponsors. Yeah. Thank Dwayne you from our Johnson sponsors. and CSMP. Boy, never knew I made it. Yeah, yeah I was right. Gonna say, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at uh, I'm at the rocks level. This is great. So I wanted you to hold your breath because uh, this conversation I wanted to bring up is that something that a lot of people will bring up to me, especially moms, is they will say, "Everybody in my house eats something different," or you know, um, I have to cook for five people, or this is, it's meal prepping is impossible for me because I got to do all this different cooking. For someone like that, what is your proposed um, step in the right direction? Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, you get the family, you get the households where it's different mouths, different ages, different food preferences, all those things, different schedules. Um, there's no one right answer for this. But it is to say that at base, um, the meat prep becomes an important piece of that. Because if you have the meat prep, it's really easy to make someone a rice bowl, make someone tacos, make someone a peanut butter and jelly, right? Like it's, yeah. it's easier to do that. If the meat is made, everything is 10 minutes away. So that's core value number one. Um, I will say, and I, I mean this, and I will also say this out loud, remember that I don't have children. Um, but I will say that like the current dynamic of all of our children are super bright, super intelligent, we're empowering them to make decisions because we want them to be smart younger is a beautiful thing, but it's also leading to a level of autonomy and privilege that has some cons. Sure. One of them is children crave and are taught to be independent. The first thing they can exert their independence with is food. Yeah. It's the first thing a kid can say no to, right? At two years old, no, I don't like that. It's the first thing they're allowed to refuse. And so when we have this individuous society that is encouraging children to be creative thinkers and autonomous and independent, there's a lot of value that comes from that, but one of the downsides is you get some spoiled brats that like to say no just because they're gonna say no. Uh -huh. And I will tell you that like that is a parent problem. That is sure. something that needs to be solved. So I am a huge fan of the tough love on that, which is to say that I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, sounds like I'm not eating. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's funny with uh, with Rhett, we're we're going through. So he's he's one that he's tough because he's a very picky eater. Now, granted, he's two and a half, mm -hmm. so like you know, um, go with that too. You take the take the grain of salt. But one thing that we've really tried to implement with him is a like try to limit the junk food that he goes for. Mm -hmm. um, if he wants to have cheeses for breakfast, like we got to try to hide that box a little better. Um, but also, the things that he does really like, we try to push more of. So, for one, like, he has these um, these apple bars that he eats that are actually, like, fairly, like, whole whole foodish, mm -hmm. and they're, they're really good, um, and they taste amazing, too. So, like, him wanting to have that is not a big deal. You know, there is an apple, there's a fiber content to it. Uh, another one that's interesting is he loves meats. So every time we meal prep meats, we make sure we make extra for him so that he can have that. Yeah. Um, one thing they always talk about is like when you make uh, when you make them food, even if they don't eat it, always try to put certain things in front of them because eventually they're going to reach for it and try it. Yeah, it's exposure, and that's the thing you realize is you set the precedence as as parents, and that's kind of the part where it's like there's a parenting component to this, which is one, you guys eating food. 
it's going to be normal for a child to resist that. And yes, I get it. Sometimes when you're dopamine fatigued and drained, you're going to say it's not worth the fight. I'll just make them a PB&J. But making sure that they're surrounded by good quality foods, making sure that there's time for meals, making sure that they're exposed to it. If they're resistant, encourage them to help make it. Yeah. It's one of the easiest things you can do with a little kid is say, hey, will you help me make this? And then while you and the spouse are sitting there eating the thing they cooked, complimenting them on it and being, oh my gosh, this is so delicious. And then they'll feel really special. Eventually they'll get curious enough and they'll try it. So you don't have to like force it down their throat. Just yeah. thank them and then ask them to make it for you again. And don't be surprised when they start to. So instead of it being a fight, right? You realize that the fight creates resistance in yeah. children. If you actually make it an experience, that's a whole different conversation. And again, there's going to be nights where, yeah, you just make the kid PB&J. But keeping in mind, sometimes the pickiest eaters, they're either kids that are really trying to like show resistance, show independence. That needs to be met and corrected with parenting. Yeah. And sometimes that is the tough truth of like, hey... This is the precedence. Family eats together. These are the things we are eating. Yeah. This is the choice. There is a time for authority. And so it's always kind of weighing that. Um, and then from there, but we live in a society now where I get the families that one kid has a sensitivity to this, the other has an allergy to this, and there's like legitimate barriers like that that aren't the tough love approach. Um, and that, once again, goes back to where we make the meal prep and then we can have the tortillas versus the gluten-free tortillas. We can do the rice or the sweet potato. We, it's when the meat is prepped, it's easier to, we realize a lot of the allergies and sensitivities are in the sides. Uh -huh. Well, if we can have like accessible you know, sides that are sort of adjacent to one another, now all of a sudden we can have a more sort of inclusive meal. So it's just playing around with juggling those key factors. Yeah, that, and also a lot of it too is, is it's just like when you're dieting, they tell you like throw all the junk out. With kids too, it's that, you know, like for Rhett, something we ran into him, with him, is that Nina got Lucky Charms one time, and she, and we gave some to him, which she liked him, well then, um, we had my niece stay over, and my niece, like, she's young, like she's 11, um, 12 actually now, and she loves Lucky Charms too, so she's like, uh, she's sharing them with him the whole time, well, Rhett got a little bit of an addiction to Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> to the point to where, like, we stop buying it because what's out of sight is out of mind, right? Um, and eventually we started bringing in, like, a little bit healthier cereal at least into the mix um, so that he would start eating that. Fun fact, too, he loves, like, the protein shakes. Like the, like the protein, like the pre-made, like, carton yeah. protein shake. If he, every morning he gets up and comes down there and he's like, sip. <laughs> and that's what he wants. Is he wants he wants that. Yeah. And we've actually had to stop him because he almost drank a whole one by himself. Yeah. He's one getting time. way. Too, you're like, this is way too much protein. Yeah. But uh, cool stuff. Um. Yeah. These, these are the fun things. And to be fair, like our generation, we were you know we're the we're the '80s and '90s babies. We're the we're the uh, we're the the cereal mascot generation, right? Oh, yeah, the right. Lucky Charms, the Tricks Rabbit, the you know the Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Captain Crunch, like you know, go on and on. Fruity Pebbles, yeah, off. all of them, right? And so, like, we were that generation, and and cereal became a treat. It became a dinner. It became a convenience item. And most people forget that at the end of every cereal commercial, it was always Lucky Charms, part of a complete breakfast. Yeah. The word part kind of got omitted. Um, cereal, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's the carb in a meal. It'd be the equivalent of sitting down and eating a baked potato and calling it dinner. Yeah. And, or a bowl of rice and saying dinner. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's not complete. And so, um, the other piece I always like to say is like, 
of course your young child likes the taste of Lucky Charms. And no, he's not old enough to recognize what moderation is. He knows what he likes and he's stating his preferences. Our age group kind of got, <laughs> we got torn by that because the way they decided to help us navigate that is by saying this is bad. Yeah. And that's not very helpful because fast forward, now we're all in our 30s and we're caught, in, a lot of people are caught in this guilt-shame cycle where now they're like, oh, I'm not supposed to have that. That's bad. And then they eat it and instead of enjoying it, they feel guilty about it and then they spiral and shame themselves and then they binge eat on it. So like telling someone something's good or bad doesn't really help. To your point, what you do with Rhett is you expose it appropriately, which is you pair it with something like a protein source, and then you also throttle the frequency in which he can have it, and that's parenting. And I think to a certain extent, that's the part where in this, going back to what we said at the beginning, in this like fast and furious, overly driven, overly stressed society where we're all on our own journeys and drained, a lot of parents are so exhausted by their day-to-day -day life that they go into friend mode with their kids because yeah. they quote-unquote don't want to fight. And again, as the hypocritical non-parent in the room, I'd be the one to be like, hey, I hate to tell you, but like, you're doing your kid a disservice. Yeah. Be the parent. Be the authority figure. Say no. Don't do it in a way that makes them feel guilty and shamed. And I hate to tell you, yes, that's effort. But if you're too drained to do that, then maybe you need to say no to some other stuff in your life because you sure. are a parent that is a dominant role and responsibility in your life. And when you see kids having meltdowns in the cereal aisle, there's something that's got to be done. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Like in my mind, I was, just, I was just laughing when you were talking about our generation. It's like we're the only generation in the corner snorting a Lucky Charms marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It's, it's not, we're not far off, to be honest. So uh, – Bringing like go like tailing off the convenience part of it. So, what are your thoughts on like juices? And I don't mean juices as in like orange juice. I mean like pressed juice. For I know there are some people out there that love to just go get a a bottle of like pressed juice or something like that and say that that can be part of their lunch. Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So it's it's funny because I guess the way to think about it is what I said in the very beginning, what is, the, what's the main purpose of a vegetable? And it's the fiber. Well, like juicing is the active process of removing the fiber from yeah. something. And so you're not getting a vegetable. Are yeah. you getting vitamin and mineral water? Yeah. Are you getting some natural sugars? Yeah. Could that be energizing? Absolutely. Could it be part of a complete lunch? Sure. It could be. Part of uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but ultimately like it's not going to be something that needs to be, actively a part of our day-to-day. -day. I'd rather you eat the whole fruit. I'd rather you eat the whole vegetable because that's going to contribute to appetite regulation. That's going to contribute to gut bacteria flourishing. That's going to um, contribute to a lot of other like anti-inflammatory processes. And so this idea of extracting the juices out of something, uh, there's a time and a place, right? Yeah. Um, I think that you know for a more active population, it has a lot of value because it can provide some really good nutrients to a group that may be struggling to get enough nutrients. Unfortunately, we live in a society of mostly sedentary people that don't need help getting enough energy. So we're left with, you know, a stripped down juice that's just a bunch of calories with no sense of fill. And it's like, well, do we really need that on top of your meal? So it's it's just how it fits, right? It's, yeah. I, I like to say that there's no such thing as good foods and bad foods. Really, there's all foods are puzzle pieces. And like... I want to see what puzzle pieces you're putting together because there's definitely versions of the puzzle that juice is included, but when you use that puzzle piece, there's other components that need to be factored into that puzzle. Yeah, cool. So bringing this in for a landing here, 
I can't talk about meal prepping without talking about things like meal replacements and supplements. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot out there. God forbid there's a ton of meal replacement shakes. Um, there's diets where it's meal replacement this, meal replacement that, even bars for that instance. Yeah. Um, so again, like there's so much information out there that we talked about before, so many things for people to navigate. What would you recommend people to stay away from? What would you recommend them to even utilize as part of a successful diet? Um, yeah. Where do they start? Most, and what to, yeah, what to stay away from? Because there, again, there's a lot out there. Yeah, there is. Our society is built that based on convenience and grind culture, right? Mm -hmm. We're all too busy for main meals. The problem with that is main meals are meant to be a time of day that we slow down, we take some time for ourselves. we let our cortisol drop, we nourish our body, we tell it that it's okay, that it's not being chased by a tiger. So there's a pace that meals are supposed to provide for us. Um, most of us feel like we're too busy for that, which is a huge red flag and sure. likely a problem because it means there's pervasive stress and that leads to inflammation and metabolic shutdown and immunocompromisation and we could go on and on. So when I see a portable convenience culture, what I initially see is a, basically a deferral of good quality meals. And once again, those meals are meant to be a pace set. Um, they're also meant to be a complete digestive process. You're supposed to have fats, carbs, proteins, fibers, and bulk that goes into the stomach and tells the body a meal came in. The stomach's supposed to close. It's supposed to secrete acid and make chyme. That's supposed to take one to three hours, which provides you with hours of satiety. Mm. It's then supposed to slow drip into the intestine, which then basically takes it, breaks it down further, and then absorbs it, which gives you a time-released nutritional stream and gives you steady energy for hours and hours. And then it's supposed to then feed your gut bacteria the appropriate nutrients so that your gut bacteria, the like what I like to say, the firemen and the policemen and the Wall Street workers of New York City all get fed. Um, and so it helps that, you know, that city remain vibrant as a way to think about it. A meal is going to do all of those things. A snack does none of those things. A snack doesn't lead to a complete closure of the GI tract, which means that reflux is more likely, which means incomplete bowel movements and IBS and bowel irregularity are more present, means incomplete secretion of acid, incomplete secretion of enzymes, and incomplete feeding of your gut bacteria are present. It means absence of hunger and fullness cues. Um, so protein shakes, protein bars, all of those things, yes, we all have our busy days that we may need those, but they're meant to be a bridge to another place, right? Mm -hmm. They're meant to be a bridge along the way from a destination. And what our society has gotten to is we grab something quick because we're in a hurry, and then we get busy doing other things, and then we're hungry again, so we grab something quick. I always say we kind of use snacks as like a snooze on our appetite. Do you remember those alarm clocks before modern phones came out that when you'd snooze it, it got louder every time. Yeah, That's what happens to most people. They just yeah. snooze their appetite all day and then they wonder why they're sitting there eating tortilla chips and salsa while dinner's cooking. So they're eating while they're waiting to eat and then they eat their dinner, go back for seconds and then they're, I always like to say after dinner they lick the floor, which is like my dogs, right, when they're done eating. Yeah. Their, their hunger is still kicked in, so they like are sniffing and licking the floor. And then about 10 minutes after they're done eating, they like go lay down. Humans do that too, so they eat freaking tortilla chips, eat while they wait to eat, eat a dinner, get seconds, and then they're looking to munch something in the cupboards afterwards. That is an overcorrection as a result of dismissing your needs for a 12-hour period. Yeah. What most people need is real meals. And so let's bring it back to supplements. A protein shake. That is the protein part of a complete breakfast, yeah. right? 
if you have a protein shake that's just straight up protein with water, that's not ideal, right? That's not really doing a lot for us. That's you snoo pressing snooze on your appetite. If you take the time to blend up protein with some blueberries and a banana and some oatmeal and some chia seeds and a little bit of nut butter and a handful of fresh spinach, great. There's all that fiber. There's all that protein. There's a good fat in there. That's going to time release. That's going to activate a normal digestive process. A complete breakfast. Part of a complete breakfast, right? Um, it is a complete breakfast. Yeah. If you're going to eat a protein bar, there's kind of two uses. That's either a part of a meal. So it could be like the thing that goes next to your meal at lunch. Um, I always like to say, if I eat like a little, you know, say I eat a little, little bowl of some kind, like a stir fry, a protein bar could be a protein enhanced dessert if you get the right one. Get one of those Fit Crunch bars, those Robert Irvine, right? Yeah. The little small ones that are 180 calories. Well, if I get, I like to, for me personally, I eat six, 800 calories in a meal. So if I get one of my CSMP regular size that are 450 or my fitness size that are 600, I can eat one of those Robert Irvines as dessert for a six or 800 calorie meal based on what I'm trying to hit for me personally. Well, that's a delicious addition to my meal and it also makes me feel more full. So it satisfies that sweet, which makes the meal feel more complete, but it also doubles down on the protein, which drives that satisfaction physically as well as emotionally. Um, protein bars could also be the thing that buys you an hour or two. So between lunch and dinner, you want to eat that protein bar at 3 o'clock because you don't want to eat the tortilla chips and salsa mindlessly while you're waiting to eat your dinner. Yeah. So there's a time and a place for a shake or a bar to buy you an hour or two. But for the most part, we need to be thinking about integrating those. I always say snacks are actually supposed to be side dishes. Our main meals should get us from one meal to the next. Yeah. If you're a very intensely active person... Snacks are then helpful because they're pre-workouts and post-workouts and peri-workouts and all of that. But for the typical population that's minimally active, snacking is usually an absence of main meals. I would say it's, snacks tell me that your the meal prior sucked. Yeah. You either ate something boring and now you want something sweet because you're looking for the happiness part of food, which means you should have slowed down in the first place and enjoyed that meal, um, or the meal was too light and your body's asking you for the physical. So usually a snack is your body requesting a break or mental or physical energy that should have existed in the form of a lunch break that was designed to give you mental and physical energy. Yeah. And so if we could like stop it with the grind culture, and again, pot calling kettle black, I work a lot, but it's learning to slow down and throttle periodically, saves you dopamine, it turns draining things like meal prep into empowering things like nourishing yourself, and now all of a sudden you're coming from a place of thriving, you're creating this positive cycle instead of this perpetual stressed pervasive negative loop that so many of us fall victim to yeah and with that too keep in mind like we were talking about earlier with the vegetables that a protein bar can be very misleading hey, like God. the term protein bar not to get on this rabbit hole and this, this dive <laughs> two hours bit. later yeah uh but you know for people to realize that a protein bar doesn't necessarily mean there's pro quote-unquote protein bars out there that are like six grams of protein yeah and then they're like 12 grams of fat and they're like 40 grams of carbs yep so like fats and carbs are literally way like double triple quadruple the amount of protein but it's called a protein bar so again we go back to like that nutritional labeling thing of making sure that you look at that and realize how much protein is actually in it because otherwise you might just be getting a carb fat bar that yeah. just has an energy bar yeah an energy bar that just has a little bit of protein in it or a candy bar that has protein added to it yeah yeah, yeah exactly and the same thing too with like meal replacement shakes too like people will promote those and um, you know it's like 
high protein or meal replacement, but honestly, like, you can get some of those and they're, like, five grams of protein. The rest is, like, carbs and fats. And, yep. and like you said, you're just buying time. Yep. You're pressing snooze. And sometimes that's a tool in your toolbox, but it's not something we should rely on. Most people should prioritize main meals and recognize snacks are typically more better utilized as side dishes Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden you don't feel the need to eat the whole bag of chips or eat the whole sleeve of oreos yeah because you're eating it as a part of something as opposed to on its own i I did a segment called lonely foods that's been one of my more famous podcasts over the years right is the lonely foods and that's exactly what that is give food friends because if you don't they'll find their own they tend to bring more of themselves in the form of overeating yeah yeah for sure i like that i like that the lonely foods lonely foods now also to just for people out there to realize, like, a lot of this we're talking about has a lot to do with people who are trying to lose weight or, like, maintain weight. For those of you out there who are, like, the rare who actually are trying to gain weight or are what's called, quote-unquote, hard gainers, those, I mean, those little, like, snooze is actually a good thing for yeah, those people. Because they're appetite stimulants. Yeah. And so it's funny. It's You get the hard gainers, and they're like, I'm just not hungry in the morning. And it's like... Cool. Eat something really small. Eat a piece of bread. Eat a granola bar first thing in the morning. Guess what happens? Hour later, You're they're actually hungry. Yeah. And so it's it like you said, there are people that that information's for, and that's why it's this idea of you know the whole point of case specific nutrition, right? The reason that that title is relevant and continues to another shameless plug. Yeah, another shameless plug. <laughs> the reason that I have just the most original marketing brilliance. No, um, but the reason that name comes back and has so much value is because of just that. There are. All these different diet theories and bullet points and things that we could spend hours and days and years navigating, they all have validity. They all talk to someone, but your job as the consumer is to say, who are they speaking to and am I that target audience? Yeah. And part of the point of what you do and what I do is we're the mediator. We're the one that says, hey, of all the information out there, this is the information that's for you. Yeah, for sure. Well, so we don't blow anyone's mind anymore. Yeah, that's a lot. All- as, yeah, as we always do this show, we always like to end with three actionables because oh, someone's blowing leaves, I think, outside our window. Fantastic. That or there is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <so. laughs> when we leave this uh, this room, it's going to be questionable. Yes. Will yes. this make it on the air? Uh, yeah, this this is our, our final note. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, so we always love to end with three actionables. So with all the things that we just talked about meal prep-wise, what are three actionables that you as a dietitian would give somebody to A, be successful, but B, just make this freaking simple and easy for them to be successful. Yeah. Number one, meat prep. I think that's the, 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 if we look at, if we go full circle and think about all the ways that helps families of all shapes and sizes, and I, if we can call it protein prep, because obviously there's going to be some vegan and vegetarian families and households out there, protein prep is going to be the number one thing you can do to save yourself time. I think from there, it's remembering that meal prep is just a type of intention and awareness. Practicing intention and awareness means looking ahead, acknowledging the obstacles of the week. So identify the pain points of the week. Is it those two days a week that you have long days? Let's focus on those and let's find a solution in the form of meal prep, whether that's prepping it on Sunday, whether that's prepping it the night before. So identifying your pain points. I would say protein prep, identifying your pain points. And then from there, I think the last one is just talk to your spouse. (laughs) you guys are a team and her her needs for variety and your needs for structure they're meant to complement one another and so just like recognize that you're supposed to find that as beauty in one another and renew your vows and kiss your son goodnight and yeah. And tell your kids no (laughs) and tell your kids no (laughs) exactly exactly 
Oh, I love awesome. it. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, dude, my pleasure. Uh, this was awesome, as always. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Oh man, easiest place to get a hold of us is probably, I'd say, just Instagram, uh, Case Specific Nutrition. That's our most active source, uh, casespecificnutrition.com. You can get a hold of us for scheduling, for insurance checks, learn more about our services. Um, we do have a podcast and a meal prep and all those other things too, but if you go to either the Instagram, Case Specific Nutrition, or casespecificnutrition.com, you'll be able to find all of the above. Cool. Awesome. Well, guys, I hope you found this um, to be definitely valuable i know i did and you might have just saved a marriage i'm just kidding Heck, that's we'll be hopefully not the only one of the week right <laughs> um but no yeah this, this has been awesome and a lot of great takeaways for people i do i love the uh the protein prep as like the most important part and that's yeah. uh definitely something to take uh as well as the variety of foods that i can give to my wife as well. i like it so, awesome man well uh thank you so much and uh please guys Share this because there are people out there who could definitely use this. There's definitely a frantic mother or father um, out there who is running around trying to do all this meal prep, prepare for so many different people. So make sure you are sharing with them. Spread the good news, and we will talk soon. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode of the Healthy, Fit, and Pain-Free Podcast. If you would like more content that is easily implementable and no BS, you can join our Facebook page at Healthy, Fit, and Pain-Free Podcast. Uh, to learn more about Inner Strength, visit our website at innerstrengthpgh.com or you can simply email us, us at info at innerstrengthpgh.com. We have two locations in Pittsburgh right now. One is our West location in Coriopolis slash Robinson, PA, and our second location, which just recently opened, is in the South in Lawrence, PA, in the southern part of Pittsburgh. We also partner up with K-Specific Nutrition. They are a locally owned business full of dietitians, registered credentialed dietitians who can help you with just general nutrition, sports needs, and also medical information. You can also contact me at Dr. Period Tyler at innerstrengthpgh.com or check me out on social media at dr.tyler_bordick. Thank you all again. We'll see you on next week's episode.